Our reading this morning is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 4, and uh, we begin the reading at verse 4. So it's John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Now he, that is Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. In our morning services at the moment, we're following a series, The Eight Characteristics of a Healthy Church. And this morning, we're looking at uh, inspiring worship. Sometimes we manage it, sometimes we don't. But I'm sure we'd all agree that this is one of the hallmarks of a healthy church. If we're not worshipping, then we're not being church, because worshipping Christ is the one thing we do that nobody else does. And if our worship is not inspiring, then maybe it's not worthy of the God whom we come to worship. So yes, I hope that inspiring worship gets a big tick from everyone. You ask everyone what constitutes inspiring worship, though, 
you might find it difficult to get any kind of consensus. People have so many different expectations. But I don't want to draw a distinction, and a very clear one, I think, between inspiring worship and enjoyable worship. Not that inspiring worship isn't necessarily enjoyable, but if, we, if our main consideration is, did I enjoy that or not, then we need to assess our priorities. That's because what one person enjoys won't be somebody else's cup of tea. And one of the problems is that when it comes to worship style, we all have different preferences. Gone are the days when you chose one of about 200 hymns out of the 777 in the Baptist hymn book, and we all pretty much knew what to expect. Some people value silence. It's really important. It's a time of intimacy with God. Others of us can find that we get carried away by some worship songs and that it doesn't matter how often we sing them. The words and the music just somehow express the love and adoration that well up in our hearts. And we're kind of carried away by the worship that's going on inside and around us. But I know that there are others who think, I meant the words I sang them when I sang them the first time. I don't need to sing them again. Thank you very much. And we value worship that engages our minds a bit more. And are you into liturgy or spontaneity in worship? I uh, meet with Baptist ministers from around the area, and one of them said, well, my church said, I hope we're not using liturgy in our church. We're a Baptist church. We're not Anglicans. One of the problems is the, the sheer diversity in terms of the expressions of worship that are open to us. Worship used to be like popping down to your local shop where the range of products was fairly limited, so most people bought the same kind of stuff. Now you go into the worship supermarket and the range is vast, and people's preferences have diversified as well. And in a broad church like ours, there's a broad range. So what one person enjoys may not be so much to the next person's taste at all. But then, should we actually not think in terms of inspiring worship, enjoyable worship? Because as soon as I start to think about whether I've enjoyed the worship, the focus is on me, and what I've liked, and what I've valued, and what I've enjoyed. Whereas true worship, almost by definition, is about a genuine encounter with God. It's not about me, or what I want, or what I enjoy. It's about the Lord, and the worship that I bring him. And the reality is that if we come to church, and our, work, our focus is on, what are we singing this morning? Then, we're not worshipping. We are thinking about worshipping. If we're worshipping, whatever is there, is a vehicle for us to focus on the Lord. In that sense, then, good worship is like a, a window through which we see a vision of the glory of God, the glory of Christ. And in, our, in response to what we see, our hearts go, wow, isn't God amazing? And worship then becomes inspiring.
If we get things wrong up the front here, and because nobody's perfect, we do sometimes, it's like trying to peer through dirty glass. And all you see are the smears, rather than the God we're trying to see. But sometimes, equally, it's possible, you know this, to look at a window and all you see is your own reflection. And it's possible then for the worship, however skillfully it's led, just to be about the people up the front, or about our own thoughts, about how we're feeling, rather than about the Lord. Worship is a window through which we see God. And when we see God clearly, that inspires us. So I'm brought back to what Jesus said to the woman by the well in Samaria. She wanted to know, where do you need to go to worship God properly? Can I worship God properly here in Samaria? Or do I need to go all the way down to Jerusalem? And Jesus says, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you go. Big church day out. Lindisfarne. Hillsong. Worth Abbey. Take your pick. What the Father looks for is people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. True worship doesn't happen in a particular location. True worship happens here, in your heart. Because your heart is the temple of the living God. And what he looks for is worship that is genuine, sincere and heartfelt. And worship that is inspired by the Spirit who creates that genuine encounter between us and God. Worship happens when God meets us here in our hearts and does so in grace, in love, in life-changing power. And when that happens, wherever we are, whatever the style of worship, our response is to say, thank you, God, you are amazing. As Francis Chan put it, we worship a God We cannot exaggerate. No superlative is too great to describe him or to celebrate who he is and what he does and everything he means to us. God is fantastic. And inspiring worship gives us a vision of that and enables our response. I also want to think to go back to the etymology of the word inspire. How did that Where does that word come from? It it comes from inspiro, which means I breathe in. And inspired worship can only happen as as we breathe in, as we receive the Spirit of God into our hearts and in our minds. Because unless the Spirit of God infuses and informs and enriches our worship, we can't worship in spirit and in truth. It's only the Spirit who can kindle a fire of love and devotion to the Lord on the altar of our hearts. It's only the Spirit who can open our closed, narrow minds to understand something of the reality of who God really is. It's the Spirit who can so fill our lives with the knowledge of the presence of the living God so that like the temple, our lives are filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, Zacharias said, there are no unique postures and times and limitations that restrict our access to God. My relationship with God is intimate and personal. And the Christian doesn't go to the temple to worship. 
the Christian takes the temple with him or her. Because Jesus lifts us beyond the building and pays the human body the highest compliment by making it his dwelling place. The place where he meets with us. Worship, inspiring worship happens here in our hearts. And people at the front, there's no way that we can ever make that happen. We can't manufacture that. We can't create that. We can prepare well, we can rehearse well, we can pray that God's Spirit will move and work for the service that we prepared. But at the end of the day, all of us together are the church. Together we are the temple of the living God. And as we gather here week by week, Jesus has promised to be present with us. And he's here whether we feel it or not. But the only person who can invite the Holy Spirit to fill your heart and your mind is you. Lord, open my heart to your presence. Open my mind to the reality of who you are. And it's impossible to lead worship for a bunch of people who just aren't interested. But if you come to church with a desire to meet God, to hear from God, to give your life to God, and we all come together and we're all on the same page, which is God's page, not ours, that paves the way for truly inspiring worship. Because collectively, our hearts are open to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God inspires our collective worship and brings in a vibrancy and a reality that is greater than the sum of all our parts. And when that happens, those of us who come feeling grumpy and disconnected and not really part of it, that catches us up as well. And we find ourselves, in spite of ourselves, engaging with the Spirit in a personal level. And we think, the Lord, the Lord is here. The Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it, but I caught a glimpse of it now. And when the Spirit inspires our worship, that of course has an emotional impact on us. It it engages our minds and our hearts. Inspiration provokes strong feelings. But the feelings are the byproduct of worship, not the goal. It's not as if we, we were happy this morning and that was good worship. That might be the byproduct. But inspiring worship brings honor to God. Although Worshipping God makes us feel God good. We don't worship God because it makes us feel good. If we do that, it just becomes about our feelings. But as the Spirit engages our hearts and our minds and brings us to a place of genuine devotion to God, where we edge towards what it means to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength, and we catch a glimpse of what it means to obey the first and greatest commandment, then we forget about ourselves. We concentrate and focus on him. And he fill our hearts with the knowledge of his love, his grace, and his goodness. And there's something reciprocal about worship. We receive so much from God, and in response we give him our praise. We don't inhabit our own bubble where we're insulated 
from everyone and everything else. And we don't do much of it at Brighton Road, but we did lift our hands this morning, some of us. And that expresses worship, expresses the exaltation of Jesus, glorification of Jesus, and receiving from him as well all that Christ has to offer from us. Some of us are a bit self-conscious, and we don't, we don't do this. But if we do, it's a bodily expression of worship. Worship is a bit like falling in love. It's that kind of communication. If you love someone and you are devoted to them, they will be the focus of your attention. Your attention won't be upon yourself. And if you're in a relationship and you're thinking about all the time about how do I feel? Am I happy? Am I secure in this? What are my feelings? What are my thoughts? And there's something wrong. Either you're not secure in the relationship or perhaps the relationship isn't a good one. Or maybe you're just being a little bit selfish, thinking about yourself all the time instead of the person you're supposed to be loving. Genuine love entails a degree of self-forgetfulness. And genuine worship is the same. It's not about me. It's all about you, Lord. That, it has to be said, is not our default way of thinking and living. We are perhaps naturally inclined to be a little bit selfish. But you know, genuine worship, if it's happening, can be quite infectious. Because we can inspire each other. And if I'm with a group of people who are wholeheartedly worshipping the Lord, then that might lift me out of my selfish inclinations and inspire me to do the same. We inspire each other to bring the worship of which God is worthy. And where does that begin? All of us who love the Lord have a responsibility to play our part in coming to church with that kind of open and ready attitude to worship. We come ready not to drink coffee, not to listen to the notices, sorry David, uh, not to meet our friends, no one listens anyway, he says, but, but we, we come, we come to worship God. Those of us up the front have a particular responsibility in that respect. We had a big debate a while ago about whether we were a worship group or a music group. A couple of years ago decided we should be a worship group. Focus more upon worship than the music. Meeting on Thursday should include sharing and praying together as well as practicing, so that those who lead worship on a Sunday have already worshipped together in the middle of the week. And there's something right and appropriate about that. Once in a while, we don't manage it. And sometimes you can see the effect of that on a Sunday morning. Well, everyone can manage it every week, which is why sometimes we have a relatively small number leading worship on Sundays. But if our focus is on worshipping God rather than playing music... That is getting the focus right. And I think overall it has enriched the quality of worship we bring to God. But the other thing about inspiring worship is that it inspires you for real life. If you are inspired, you feel you want to do something and you can do something that you wouldn't contemplate doing without that inspiration. And good worship will inspire people to live the rest of their lives, the other six days of the week, full on for Jesus. And I want to say, I think, you can't live all out for Christ unless you're worshipping. Because you can't give out unless first you take in. You can't 
If you breathe out, you have to breathe in again. If you try breathing out without breathing in, you're going to find yourself in serious trouble. So worship is the place where we receive the grace and the love and the resources of God's, that God gives to his people so that we can live effectively for him. We gather to receive. We are scattered from this place to the different places where we live and work and we do so in the name of Jesus and for the name of Jesus. And it's as we gather here to express the love of the Lord with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength that we find the resources we need the rest of the week to love our neighbours as ourselves. Because it's hard work. You can't live for God unless you worship God. You can't love your neighbour as yourself unless you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. It's as we come to worship that we find the resources we need to live for God. Colin Morris said, the worship of men and women spending themselves in compassionate action should have an air more of desperation than of formality. They would stagger into church utterly drained of goodness, unable to face another day unless their numbed spirits were resensitized and their strength renewed. They would be too hoarse to sing, too stiff to kneel, too dog-tired to take away any long exhortations from the pulpit. They would await the reading of the lesson with something akin to dread as God presented them with yet more impossible demands. Every false word in the service would stand out like a sore thumb and pretentiously ornate language would be heard no more. Instead, they would simply gasp out a litany, exposing the horror and pain and misery they'd shared, asking God to show them Jesus in it. Those are extreme words. But we live in an extreme world where living as we should is tough. Sometimes it feels impossibly tough. And we need to come here to find the resources to face another week. Church is not a place of escapism where we gather Sunday by Sunday to shut our eyes to the grim realities of life and pretend that because God's in his heaven, all's well with the world. All is not well with the world. Far from it. But to be people who live the kind of life that has a positive impact on the world, we need to be people whose lives are inspired by the worship that we find here on a Sunday. So a healthy church is a place where we come and find the strength to live another day as we should because of Jesus. Is Brighton Road a healthy church? Do we have inspiring worship? As with all the eight marks of a healthy church, it's a work in progress. But I hope that we're headed most of the time in the right direction. But let me close with a quotation from John Ortberg. I need to worship. Because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and live in fear. I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling and begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation.
I need to worship. Because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and plod through life with blinders on. I need to worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. Inspiring worship turns our lives inside out so that we stop living for ourselves and we live instead for God and others. Lord, may our worship turn our lives inside out so that we give everything to you and for you, our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Lord. Amen.